1935, a gift from an admiring young poet, Harry Clifton, bursts into life and expands into the grand themes of human existence. Yeats's convictions, philosophy, beliefs, and sheer poetic genius find expression in this deep blue, opaque work of art with flecks of gold brown. A semi-precious gemstone hailed from ancient times as a healing crystal, symbolic of wisdom and truth. Lapis Lazuli comes to us as a profound, complex poem which presents and reconciles the paradox of tragedy and joy, giving us both the Western and Asiatic perspective. The Greek tragedies, however intense, emotional, evoking pity and terror in superhuman dimensions, resulted in catharsis. In the midst of negative and dark tragic forces, the viewer felt a sense of emotional release, a purification, and as a consequence, a feeling of lightness and elation and exaltation. Yeats speaks of the strange, inexplicable exhilaration that we feel when we witness or experience deep sorrow and acute suffering. The pain, its intensity and depth get transformed into a sense of peace, serenity, relief. We have often felt that an upliftment, a buoyancy of spirit. Doesn't it seem apparently a contradiction in itself? But Yeats beautifully exemplifies it and brings out the resolution to this paradox. Through juxtaposition of different voices, different tones, Yeats reveals the elusive interaction between agony and ecstasy, the life-affirming value of human effort and mankind even in the face of war, death, suffering. How does he manage to convince us? Yeats begins by giving us a bleak picture. After all, he wrote this in 1938, World War II was uh, impending. In the face of impending war, the poem was written in 1938, an anxiety, mounting tension, insecurity, danger. Now the question, doesn't art become flippant or useless? Isn't it trivial and irrelevant to talk of gaiety, beauty, artistry, when mankind is doomed to death and violence? War looms large, its shadow threatens to engulf humanity. Thus hysterical women rave and rant, calling art frivolous. So we have a question which engaged Yeats throughout his life. What role does art play in man's life? in society, in the world? Does it have any intrinsic value? How does it enhance and contribute? Yeats felt that the joy of creation, the infinite space of imagination, the sublime essence of beauty, the energy of thought, expression, the vigor and vitality of art can more than compensate for the inevitable sadness and tragedy of life. He begins with Shakespeare's tragedies, Hamlet and King Lear, and ends with the magnificent final, which sees the detached equanimity, 
the transcendent wisdom of the East of the Chinamen. They ask for mournful melodies and enjoy them with a glint and twinkle in their eyes. How do they feel? How do the actors feel? Thus the actors who play the roles of Hamlet and King Lear, one character is caught up in the anguish of indecision, full of self-loathing, crushed by the burden of guilt, unable to act. The other, raging in pain, shocked, broken by the cruelty, the ingratitude of his two daughters, stripped of any vestige of royalty, power, dignity, no kindness, no love, no joy in his life. The actors, while they enact the roles, immerse themselves in the roles. And as they do so, there's a rapture, an unshackled freedom. Look at the beauty and poetry of Hamlet's soliloquies. Sorry, of Hamlet's soliloquies. The passion and spiritual illumination of Lear's outbursts. The flow and rhapsody. So effusive, so ecstatic an expression. The actors no longer feel depressed, gloomy. They are transfigured. This is what Yeats makes us experience along with him. How creative art transcends and transmutes human grief. Yeats argued that in real tragedy, the playwright, player and audience merge. They become one and they ascend into that tragic ecstasy. Yeats reminds us that civilizations come and go. Humanity is witness to the rise and fall of societies. Great artists with their divine creations, their magic on marble like uh, Callimachus, rise and vanish. Edifices are built, destroyed, rebuilt. The cycle is endless. Birth, creation, destruction, renewed birth again like waves in the ocean. Like the falcon we saw in the second coming, the symbol of the rising sun and victory, Lapis also turns and turns in a widening gyre, taking in a vast sweep of history. Each verse marks a major turn as the poem spirals outwards and later comes to rest inward on the beautiful piece of sculpture and art. This is what Yeats believed in, the intersecting gyres, spiraling outward and inwards simultaneously. <laughs> the vision of hysteria, clad in gloom, rejects the work of all art for the urgencies of war and politics. This may have a pragmatic appeal, but were it to prevail, the life of human imagination and beauty would, like the town projected by the panicked, lie beaten and flat. The world as a stage transfiguring the dread of terror of war into, its, into the artistry, the creative perfection of tragedy. The rambling, haunting echoes of Hamlet, the raging, stormy fury of Lear, Ophelia's pathetic mad poetry, Cordelia's purity, nobility, 
we see that. We see everything. But the dread becomes gaiety. Sustained by art, transformed by art, it gives us joy, exuberance. Blazing into the head, even as the stage blacks out. This is the kind of expansiveness that art gives to tragedy. This is what art and life give us at their best. Beyond time, beyond person, we dwell in wisdom and ethereal grace. This belief goes back to Lady Gregory. The arts are all the bridal chambers of joy. No tragedy is legitimate unless it leads some great character to his final joy. So we have Shakespeare's tragic heroes and the gay actors. It's an old theory of Yeats. The moment of their actual death is the moment of their stage triumph, the moment of their joy. Why so, we ask? It's death that makes them whole again, complete in their chosen, timeless image of themselves. This then is the moment of supreme joy, surrender, realization at the same time. The transient becomes eternal, the mortal, immortal. What about the actors? Do they remain gloomy? No, they retain their composure and happiness. No gloom, no dread. They transcend it because they know they are participating in a tragedy. So what do they do? They commit. They empower the play, but they remain themselves. They transcend it simultaneously by their appropriate rendering. What happens when Hamlet dies? What happens when both Lear and Cordelia are no more? Does everything end? No. In fact, dance, music continues. Because life is abundant, limitless, intense. The idea of Lear and Cordelia united is forever. It continues. A piece of lapis lazuli is crafted and beautifully carved by some Chinese sculptor. We see the semblance of a mountain with temple. There are trees and paths. An ascetic and a disciple are ready to embark on their climb up the mountain. The point of intersection is this carving, which stimulates the speaker's imagination in his reflection on how civilizations respond to the forces of chance, change, decay. Asiatically now through Eastern contemplation, we see through the eyes of the three Chinese, we stand on the summit of a lofty mountain overlooking the world and the ages, history. From here we view the rise and fall of civilizations, creation, destruction, then rebuilding in an endless cycle. Is there pathos in this? Do we lament? Is there room for hysteria? The three Chinese, like Nietzsche, are happy in the eternal recurrence. The universe, all existence, energy, come and go. 
and will continue to do so an infinite number of times across infinite time and space. There's a gaiety in the middle of sorrow, in the full knowing of sadness and death as a part of life. Art gives that transcendent joy to all civilizations. Art helps them to survive, immortalize, transcend. The Chinamen atop the towering mountain survey the panoramic view below, the tragic scene, the still sad music of humanity, as Wordsworth puts it. This doesn't make them depressed or unhappy. On the contrary, they ask for mournful tunes, melancholy sad tunes to be played, so appropriate. Deirdre, in the Irish myth, has a reverie of passion and the poet dwells on it. Reverie of passion that mounts and mounts till grief itself has carried her beyond grief and into pure contemplation. In the civility of sorrow, passion can become wisdom. How do the Chinamen remain so gay? They have an ancient tradition, a sense of ceremony with them. They understand and view objectively hysteria, tragedy, aeroplanes, zeppelin, atom bombs, destruction, transience. In all the flux, they see an order, a distance, an aesthetic, larger pattern, a grand scheme of things. They understand, they understand form and wholeness. The artist's ability to capture both, to create both. They see the arc of life amid the full circles of history, art, eternity. We that look on artists and philosophers, not participants but wise spectators, we laugh in tragic joy. There is a creative joy, an acceptance of what life brings. Because we have understood the beauty life brings, that we laugh aloud and we mock in the terror or the sweetness of our exaltation at death and oblivion. Where the broad sweeps of history meet the individual imagination, the crystal carving, the moving sculpture of Callimachus, we also get an image. And what is that? The image of the transmuting power of art, its reflection of the cosmic energy, its perfection. The last haunting lines, one asks for mournful melodies. And the music does play, if only in the imagination of the reader. The ancient glittering eyes, the gaze of these stone figures have come to life in the speaker's imagination and brings the reader too into the magic of imagination and the transcendence of art. It's a beautiful poem. This poem honors the energy of vision, the glittering eyes, a gaiety of creation. The glittering eyes become our own. This carving in lapis lazuli can no more be expected to last than the sculptures of Kilimachus. For all we know, the texts of Yeats will one day come to dust. Nevertheless, they will have participated in the service of stimulating humans' transfiguring vision 
which this poem emphasizes is the work of all art. The poem reconciles apparent incongruities, paradoxes. But civilization rises above all this because civilization itself is bigger than them and will always endure. Civil, individual works of art maybe will not survive plunder, warfare, human destruction. But in lapis lazuli, we have a true symbol of permanence. Tragedy enlarges our understanding of life. Our acceptance of fate leads to inner illumination. To quote Nietzsche, Art is essentially the affirmation, the blessing and deification of existence.